1: With Zach Pearson, Zach Pearson, and Aaron Lemming, Aaron Lemming, providing extensive coverage of the Chicago Bears, Go Bears presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, here are your hosts, Zach Pearson and Aaron Lemming.
2: What's up, Bears fans? Welcome to another edition of the Bear Report podcast. The 2022 NFL Draft is in the books Ryan Poles turned six draft picks into 11 with a very busy day on Saturday. And now we get to look forward to the Bears rookie minicamp this week. On this episode, we'll break all things down with the draft. We'll also have Daniel Gallen in who reports for Lions 24-7, covers Penn State to talk a little Jaquan Brisker. And we'll get into the latest with the Bears. Before we do all that, though, I have to bring in my co-host Aaron Lemming. And Aaron, now it starts to gear up a little more. We had the draft and the practices are coming. And we'll get kind of our first real look here in May and June at what this roster could be.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, its I, I won't call it the final pieces because you got to hope at this point it's not the final pieces. But I, I would say the majority of the offseason in terms of additions are just about done. And we're kind of getting a better idea of, you know, what this team's going to look like moving into the year. And then also to kind of, you know, just get a better feel for how Ryan Poles is going to operate, where he puts value in the draft um, and, you know, just kind of his overall philosophy of team building. So it was definitely, uh, it was an interesting learning experience. You know, it's always interesting. The first two years always feel like are the most interesting with the new, a new regime, especially with the new GM, because obviously this year and we're already kind of starting to see it. It's like this year, You know, he brought in some of his own guys, but for the most part, these were all holdovers from the Ryan Pace era and beyond. And now you're going to start seeing a lot more changes. So next year you're going to see kind of a different, uh, you know, a different balance as well with the staff that he has in and getting his own guys. So, yeah, I think it's going to be, I think we're really what we're seeing here is we're seeing two polar opposites of free agency or well free agency and the draft, right. Where the bears didn't have a lot of resources, Ryan Poles just decided, hey man, like we're just we're just ripping the band-aid off. I mean, they even cut Nick Foles right after the draft. Like they're just completely ripping the band-aid off. They're gonna be, when it's all said and done, they're gonna have close to, if not over, 60 million dollars in debt space. And obviously, some of that is Ryan Poles doing in terms of the decisions that he made. But I think ultimately you eat all that money now for the most part, and then next year you can roll in. I mean, dude, the Bears are gonna have a crazy amount of money, even if they extend Roquan Smith at some point. I mean, they're still going to have probably when it's all said and done with, you know, the rollover that they have and everything else. I mean, they're probably going to have I mean, they're going to have well over one hundred million dollars. And obviously, you know, they're going to have to resign some guys, but they're going to have a ton of money to work with. So and obviously they'll have the first, second, third, fourth, fifth. Uh, they won't have a sixth and they'll have their seventh next year as well. So it'll be a lot more fuller of a draft class. So, you know, it's just kind of one of those, you know, we get a taste of what everything's like, but we, we're definitely not seeing the full picture quite yet.
2: Yeah. And, you know, it goes back to the, the focus is on 2023. That's been kind of the theme um, all offseason for the bears. You know, they can't admit that they're not going to admit that, but it's pretty clear. I mean, no one really expects this team to compete. Is there a, or to compete for, you know, a division title or a playoff spot this year? Is there a shot? Sure. There's always a shot, but it's just, it's just not realistic. And I think, you know, when, when looking at this offseason, that is the main goal is to be good by 2023. You mentioned they're going to have a ton of cap space next year, even after they extend Roquan Smith. They'll be able to be more a little more flexible in free agency. It's going to be more of a free agency period. I think Bears fans were kind of expecting this year where they can address, you know, the wide receiver need with, you know, more players or go out and spend some money on an offensive line. Uh, For Ryan Poles, this first year here has just been kind of cleaning up the previous regime's mess and you know, another piece of that puzzle was, was letting go of Nick Foles, which happened on Saturday night. The bears finally made their decision and they don't have to worry about, you know, what we're going to do with Nick Foles and what, you know, what we have plans for him and all that stuff, because no one was taking his contract. No one was going to give up a draft pick for him. There's only one GM that literally would have given up a draft pick and paid his salary. And he's not the GM of the Chicago Bears anymore. So that wasn't shocking, but it just, yeah, it goes back. Ryan Poles is, you know, cleaning up the mess. And you had a good tweet about it the other day um, with all the dead money. It's like this is from some bad, 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 bad contracts, and that's why we saw the Bears moving on from Khalil Mack. Um, when when he's when the Bears are ready to be good again, you don't know if Khalil Mack can playing at an elite level, and it just makes sense to not carry all this money on the books in the future. Yeah. You're going to have the dead money this year, a, a large amount. And I think they're correct me if I'm wrong. I think there's some still next year too, right. In 2023. So
3: there's going to be no dead money from Khalil Mack and a lot of these moves, including Nick Foles and so on and so forth, but there will be dead money from both Danny Trevathan and Tariq Cohen because they did the June 1st. So basically the dead money that would have been this year is essentially cut in half. And so you have half this year, half next year, Luckily, it's going to be, I think, like, it, I think it totals under $5 million. So it's not a huge deal. Um, but, yeah, there will be some going in next year from this residual effect. Yeah, it, it's
2: just, yeah, it's just cleaning up the mess. So that's kind of what we have to uh, to kind of understand here. And, you know, let, let's, let's just kind of get into it with our draft here. I mean, Aaron, the Bears made three picks on Friday night. They picked two defensive backs um, in the second round. They went Kyler Gordon out of Washington. Then they turned around and went to Juan Brisker out of um, Penn State. And then, kind of the shocking pick, like, was uh, Vilas Jones Jr. You know, an older prospect. He's going to be 25 here next week. He's played six years in college football, taking advantage of the extra COVID year. And you know, really, his biggest impact was special teams. He's a fast, fast, fast player. We understand that. Um, but you know, there probably could have been better options out there at wide receiver. And then they, you know, they take this Vilas Jones Jr. and you kind of hear the Devo Samuel light comparison. You also heard a little bit of a Tyree Kill, even though Ryan pulls that he's not comparing him directly to that. I, I guess my best hope, and I'm, I'm assuming your best hope, is the Bears know what they're doing with this scouting process. They really trusted their scouts and have a plan. Velas Jones Jr. And they believe that he can be, you know, what the NFL is trying to turn into with this new style of wide receiver um that we're seeing in Debo Samuel or Tyreek Hill or some of these other guys. I, I guess that's it's the best case scenario, right?
3: Yeah, no, I think it is. And I, you know, it's it's I dude, I had I don't even know how many receivers over him. And again, man, it really what it comes down to is every year we see this, and this is what I'll preface this by saying, every year we see guys taken first second third round and you have guys like darnell mooney who end up outproducing half of those guys so there's a very real chance that yes you know he was a basically consensus fifth or sixth round pick for most people uh but you know maybe he ends up turning into one of those guys you know it'd be like taking essentially like taking darnell mooney in the third you know but it's just so i I, and i think they're there's a level of frustration because at least for me, right. Where, you know, going into this off season and kind of, you know, rewinding here a little bit, going into the off season, my expectation was that they would kind of dip into the B level free agency uh, with wide receiver. And then they would go out and they would get a second guy. So they basically sign, let me just to kind of give you an idea. um, You know, this was obviously before Christian Kirk got $18 million, but I was thinking like a, like a Russell Gage, Christian Kirk, um, you know, kind of along that line, you know, of like, you know, a B-level free agent, you know, and then go out and then, you know, kind of wait things out a little bit and then get a guy like Byron Pringle at, you know, $4 million. And obviously Byron Pringle was their move. And again, going into the draft, my thought process was even, you know, without them having all those extra picks was I'm thinking, okay, you know, they're going to take one in the second round and then they'll, you know, they'll double dip and they'll take one in the fifth. And Valus Jones was actually somebody that I had, you know, kind of highlighted him and Taekwon Thornton, who went crazy high, too. I mean, again, you, you talk about all these dudes with speed, you know, he was another guy that ended up going way higher than I had assumed. And Bo Melton was also in that category as well, where I figured, you know, fifth or sixth round, you want to double dip. And obviously things kind of played out. Interestingly, Uh, you know, the first night we saw six receivers go within the first 18 picks and then you get into day two and green Bay trades up and, you know, they go with, uh, you know, they go with Watson and you're thinking, okay, you know, but then it gets to 39 and the bears are still in a pretty good position. You know, you got George Pickens on the board, uh, Sky Moore, And, you know, they go Kyler Gordon, and we talked about it. I mean, there was a few different things that, you know, we talked about on the podcast. One of the things that we both agreed, although I thought it was going to be defensive line, was that they were going to go with a defensive player. Now, Logan Hall did go at 33, so I think that's kind of part of it. But there was some good defensive talent on the board. Now, I have zero issue with a Kyler Gordon pick at all. I think he's going to be a really good corner. Uh, Most people had him as a borderline uh, first round grade. Anyway, I think he's going to fit this defense really well. Um, so that no issue there. Right. So then you get to 48 and you're thinking, okay, well maybe this is a good spot to try to trade out, maybe pick up an extra third or fourth round pick and they make the pick and you're thinking, okay, well, and I don't know what broadcast you were watching. I was watching ESPN. I tried to kind of, you know, flip between the two and ESPN was talking up receiver, receiver, receiver. And I'm thinking, okay, this has got to be Pickens or Sky or maybe even Alec Pierce. And all of a sudden, Jaquan Brisker's name comes across the board, and it's like, okay, you know, you got two really good defense backs. You you can't knock that. I'm not saying anything badly about that, but at least in my evaluations, and obviously these are just my evaluations, not the Bears. They clearly had different evaluations. In my evaluations, a guy like Brisker and a guy like George Pickens, and you know, and Sky Moore were very similarly graded. I I had you know George Pickens as a borderline first round pick. Um, in terms of a grade. So I'm thinking, okay, even if they don't want to go with Pickens because of the supposed character concerns, you still got sky Moore. you know, they supposedly really liked Alec Pierce and I'm thinking, okay, well, receivers got to be the pick. So I think that that was kind of one of those spots where it kind of caught a lot of fans, a little off guard where it's like, okay, you go defensive first pick. That's fine. You know, you, you need help on the defense side of the ball too offensive line talent wasn't really lining up. I completely understand that Tyler Smith went in the first round, went way higher than I think a lot of people expected, but yeah, man, that brisker pick kind of caught everybody off guard. And then you come back and you finally take a receiver. And again, you know, it's not to knock the process because obviously they have their own evaluations, but I think in terms of what a lot of people were expecting and what a lot of people had Bayless Jones Jr. graded out as you know that felt like quite a bit of a reach. Now, obviously, some people have said different, and we'll have to see what happens. But I think the thing that really hangs me up the most about a guy like him is that, you know, he—I mean, he—he he was a what five? I think he was a five-year college player, and it took until his fifth year at age 24 for him to break out a bunch against a 19 and to 20-year-olds. And that's kind of one of those things where, historically speaking. That's not usually a very high gamble, and that's not really usually a very high hit rate. So we'll have to see what happens. I think in a worst-case scenario, I think they're going to try to use him like Marquez valdez Gantling, which I, if, you, you know, if you go back to some of our free agent talks, you know, I was against signing Marquez Valdez Scantling because I said you can get a guy like that in the third, fourth, fifth round. Like you don't need to go out and pay this guy ten million dollars a year to do something that you can do in the draft later on. And I think that in a worst case scenario, that's probably going to be about what Bayless Jones Jr. is going to be.
2: Yeah, and you know, I'm kind of with you. Um, I I don't hate the the Brisker or the the Gordon picks. I I can definitely see why. I understand them. Um, I was very curious, though, if if Christian Watson were to fall there in the second round, would the Bears take him? I I think, you know, I don't understand what Minnesota was doing, essentially, trading with not only Detroit, but Green Bay, allowing both of them to draft wide receivers when you, me, I mean, my seven-month-old son even knew the biggest needs – for biggest need for green bay was wide receiver the one of the biggest needs was detroit and now minnesota's essentially helping them in the division it just i don't know it kind of makes no sense to me and, and it's just like i kind of almost hope that um you know watson and what was it was it williamson james james williamson
3: um yeah who, jameson williams went jameson to the williams, lions uh, yeah I think it, what was it, 13 or whatever it was 12 or 13 whatever they traded up with minnesota for
2: yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of almost hope they just burn Minnesota now every time they play them. I don't know. Am I wrong? Like it just kind of didn't make sense to me what they were doing. I, I get, they acquired more draft picks, but it's like you knew what green Bay was going to do there. So I was curious to see if the bears would have taken Watson there. I think with Pickens um, everyone was really high on them. My thing with that is the bears must've just had, you know, the red flag on them big time. Like we heard some people talk about the character issues um, you know, even the injury issue last year, like he did come back. He wasn't super productive in the limited time. It did come back, but I just kind of wonder if, if it was, I mean, was, was there a big red flag? I can't defend the other ones. You know, Alec Pierce, I, we both heard that they've, um, the chatter was that they really liked them. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I looking at how oh, Ryan polls conducted his draft after that, I'm not, I'm not, um, still defending the pick. I can now see why they do, they did the pick uh, of Vilas Jones Jr. in a way because you look at his RAS score and it's, you know, it's pretty good. I mean, that's kind of what they're targeting for. They were targeting athletes and I guess they figured that Vilas Jones Jr. um, was one of the best athletes in this draft. Now they have to hope he's right though. They have to hope that You know, he is really damn good. He is he's more than just an athlete he can catch, he can go up and get passes. Because if not, I mean, we're gonna look back on it and say, well, there were some other guys, you know, still there that they could have taken that might have been better fits for them in their offense.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed.
3: Yeah, I agree. I, and I think, you know, one guy that I had, you know, highlighted and I know he ended up lasting until the fifth round was Khalil Shakir. I thought that would have been a really good pick. I mean, there were a few guys where, you know, you could have made arguments for them going in the third round and they ain't go until the fourth or the fifth. It is what it is at this point. I mean, Danny Gray was another guy I had a fourth round grade on that I thought actually would have fit pretty well I mean he's kind of similar to Darnell Mooney but again I mean what it comes down to is when kind of what we saw at least from that first draft if you start looking at RAS scores Ryan Pace has a type especially with his his you know his higher round picks like he wants top-notch athletes and I mean if you look at I mean their first three picks you look at pictures of those dudes I mean they're all really well built Uh, you know, it's like, you look at the RAS scores and they're all, you know, scoring at a high percentile. So it's like, okay, I get it. Um, You know, and then obviously you kind of get in the day three a little bit and you're kind of wondering what they're going to do. And I remember we both made our bold predictions and my bold prediction was that they were going to make at least two trades. Now, when I said that, I had that in mind of they were going to make at least one trade in the second or third round. And obviously that didn't happen. And then right before the draft is kicking off Saturday morning, Rich Eisen on the NFL network basically comes out and says, Yeah, the Bears just traded away that sixth-round pick in 2023 that they got from the Chargers back to the Chargers for two, you know, comp round uh or comp uh, seventh round picks. And, you know, and that kind of kicked everything off because Ryan Ryan Poles went on somewhat of a rampage in terms of trades. I mean, just to kind of read you off some of those trades. I mean, we had that one for it was the 2023 sixth-round pick from the Chargers going back to the Chargers for um, you know, number 254, number 255 overall. And then they traded away, uh, number 148, which would have been their first pick to the bills for number, you know, 168 and 203. Then they got to 150, which was two picks later. And they traded that to the Texans for 166 and 207. And then they get to 166 after we've already been sitting there for, what was it? Two hours waiting for them to finally make a pick. Uh, I think it might have actually been two and a half and then all of a sudden they trade 166 of the Bengals for 174 and you know, 226 so all of a sudden they go from having essentially what was it six picks to all of a sudden they end up with 11 overall and and this is kind of where I like I I'm fine with the approach. Don't get me wrong. Like the shotgun approach. I mean, really you get in the fifth round and beyond. I mean, the hit rate on these guys is, is not good at all, especially when you get in the six and seventh round. So I have no issue with them taking the shotgun approach. What I do have a little bit of an issue with, especially on Twitter right now is this narrative going around that Ryan Pace added out of, you know, out of all of those picks out of this, what was it? The eight picks that they had on day three, he added four offensive linemen. You know, here's the reality, man. If two of those guys, if two of those four guys pan out and they end up becoming either, you know, reserve, really good reserves or starting caliber players, the Bears did excellent in that regard. But to say they added four offensive linemen in the draft and, you know, they're looking out for Justin Fields and they're they're fixing the offensive line seems a little bit of a stretch, at least to me, um, especially when you're talking 2022. I mean, do you agree? Yeah. I mean, essentially they're lottery tickets. You know what I mean?
2: Anything on day three is almost a lottery ticket and yeah, they added four offensive linemen, but you're right. They have to pan out. Like they have to either be for me a starter or a really good backup reserve that can come in and eventually be a starter. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I, I think, you know, I'm fine with drafting for the offensive line because they did have a need at it. And I don't think Ryan Poles is married to Tevin Jenkins or Larry Borum as much as people want to think he is. Um, I still like, you know, obviously the verdict is still out on them and, and, and they might not be the long-term solution. So I understand the depth, but yeah, you still, you know, you still need playmakers on offense. and I look at this, offense I don't see the playmakers like I know there's a portion out there of people that say Cole Komet is going to be a legit tight end and Darnell Mooney is a number one and David Montgomery is an elite running back I don't see all of that and that's not not a knock against them I mean hopefully I'm wrong and they can you know prove me wrong but you still need a playmaker and that's where I was kind of a little disappointed um, on day three that they didn't go after someone like Khalil Shakir who the Bills actually took Uh, with the bears pick um, that they they actually traded. So yeah, I agree. I I mean, I don't know. I I would, I would say like if I were to like be upset about something, I understand, I guess I understand the Villas Jones pick in a way, but I'd be a little upset maybe more that they didn't try to take a swing on a wide receiver on day three. And I don't know, that's just me. Um, Yeah. I don't know. How do you feel about that?
3: Yeah. I, I think, you know, when you have 11 picks overall, and, you know, you have two in the fifth, three in the sixth and three in the seventh. I think at some point in time, you have to take another swing at a receiver, especially again, man, like it kind of goes back to that expectations versus reality where, you know, at least for me, again, I can only speak for myself. But when I'm expecting, you know, a B-level receiver and a C-level receiver in, in free agency and then they don't do that and then you're like, OK, well, they still got the draft. So they can spend a second round pick and they can come back with a fifth round pick. And ultimately when you end up coming away with one receiver that was projected to go in the fifth or sixth round and round three, it doesn't make you feel very good. And again, you know, it, it is what it is, especially when you get in the fifth round, these are, like you said, they're all lottery tickets. I mean, the reality of it is out of the eight guys that they took, if th- I would say, I mean, just kind of looking, if let's just say, if four of those guys make the final roster, four out of the eight, fifty percent make the final roster, and the rest end up on the practice squad, I'd say the Bears did pretty dang good. Now, if if let's just say three of those guys work out long term um, for them and they become good players, and that's a, a big win in itself. But I mean, again, I mean, the reality of it is, is you have to look at the quality of the picks and sometimes not just the quantity. And I'm not kicking down in terms of like their approach or anything like that in the late rounds. I have no issue with it whatsoever. I think that's actually probably the smartest way to do it. And to a certain extent, I kind of hope that they continue to take a similar approach like that, because I do think that that is helpful. Now, what I will say, and you kind of pointed this out already is you kind of go back and you look at some of these trades and, you know, at one forty eight, it kind of felt like, and maybe I'm wrong on this. It kind of felt like they wanted Zach Tom. Because I think the Packers are traded up like one or two picks in front of them to get Zach Tom and it was like all of a sudden the Bears traded where they're picked. So, you know, obviously they didn't really have too high of a grade on Khalil Shakira, but it's like you look at some of those picks that they traded and some of the guys that ended up going or maybe they thought Shakira was going to last, you know, because that's kind of the other thing that I think some people don't know is when teams are talking about trading like there's not always a known thing like, Hey, well, who are you trading up for? We just want to make sure that we're going to still be able to get our guy two picks later. Like, that's not usually a conversation that happens. So they could have very well been, you know, basically targeting Shakir at, you know, 150. And then he gets taken at 148. I'm not going to say that, but it does feel like the Packers did trade up in front of them uh, in front of 148 to take Zach Tom. And I think at that point they were like, all right, well let's go ahead and trade down. And they trade down and they trade down. So I think, The overall approach I have no issue with. I do think that the quality of player um, or players, more of the point, from 148 to, you know, once I I guess it was, what was it, 148 to 168 when they ended up picking again. There was definitely a little bit of a drop off from that. Um, But again, I mean, you just kind of look at some of these names. Braxton Jones was an offensive tackle. I think the one really good value pick that they got uh, on day three was Dominique Robinson. Now he's, you know, obviously a little bit of a project. He's still pretty raw in terms of being an edge rusher. He was a receiver at one point, but he was a guy that a lot of people had day two grades on. So, you know, that's kind of keep, you know, worth keeping in mind. And then, you know, they just basically kept going down the line, Zachary Thomas, Tristan Ebner, who I actually really like. I think he's going to be kind of that change of pace receiver type back. Um, I definitely think that the Bears could use somebody like that. Um, and you look at Doug Kramer, who's kind of one of those guys. He's somebody that, you know, kind of keep an eye on because maybe not this year. Maybe he's somebody that they, they hang out on the practice squad for a year and kind of let him develop a little bit but he could be one of those guys that ends up turning into that Lucas Patrick type player, um, you know, with, with uh, you know, with the, uh, with the Packers where it's like, they take a lot of late round guys. They take a lot of undrafted guys and they turn them into something. Lucas Patrick was one of those guys. Um, and then you had, let's see, what else? Uh, Jatire Carter, another offensive lineman, Elijah Hicks, who um, it was actually interesting because, you know, when Matt Eber when they met after, you know, day three and we're talking about the draft, he was somebody that, that uh, that he pointed out as being ecstatic about. So it'll be kind of interesting to see because, again, you know, I think you can carry an extra safety, especially with the versatility that you have in a guy like Jaquan Brisker. So maybe Hicks is a guy that they end up really liking. And then last but not least was Trenton Gill, uh, a punter. It's crazy, man. There was four punters taking this draft. Um, Matt Ariza or Ari Aza Ariza, I think it was Ariza, he was taken as the third punter. It was crazy. Everybody talked about him being kind of that generational guy. I know there was some hang time questions, you know, that being the third punter taken. Um, so yeah, the bears got a punter to kind of, you know, get a little bit of a punting competition going on and I guess we'll see what happens. But yeah, when it was all said and done, 11 picks, uh, I don't know about you, but I, you know, when, when they started off day three before they made that trade, I was like, all right, well, I mean, they have their last pick in the, the sixth round they don't have any sevenths i'll probably kind of watch loosely and kind of gear up for uh, undrafted free agency but that last round or so i won't really have to worry about well we had to pay attention pretty much uh you know for the six or seven hours that uh day three was on
2: it was a very busy day um i was expecting three picks and then yeah it was uh it was kind of crazy man like I I just – it was a long day. Um, You know, I understand why they had to trade back and and do all that. But, man, it's just (laughs) – it was seeing, like, the – what was it, eight picks on day three was kind of wild. Um, One pick, though, that we – did or we got some insight on was uh Jaquan Brisker the, the number 48 overall pick he was in the second round um and we probably should get to that interview here Aaron we talked to um someone who covered Brisker at Penn State Daniel Gallen who's a reporter for Lions 24-7 um the Penn State site here on 24-7 he kind of gave us some good insight on Brisker and what to expect and how he will fit in the NFL so we'll get to that right now and then we'll be kind of back to wrap things up here on the Bear Report podcast. And now joining us here on the Bear Report podcast, we're welcoming in Daniel Gallen, who is a reporter for Lions 24-7. He covers all things Penn State there. He's here to give us some insight on one of the Chicago Bears draft picks, Jaquan Brisker, who was selected in the second round on Friday night, um, the second piece of the secondary that was selected. And uh, he's going to give us some insight on on Jaquan and and hopefully uh, some good stuff here. Daniel, thanks for joining us, man.
4: Yeah, thanks for having me, Zach. Thanks for having me, Aaron. Uh, looking forward to talking to you. Ja- looking forward to talking about Jaquan Brisker. He was uh, a lot of fun to watch, a lot of fun to cover.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, let's kind of get right into it. I mean, you know, you saw him play at Penn State over the years. Right away, w- what should we expect? What type of player are we getting here in Chicago?
4: Chicago is getting a, a very passionate player uh, who cares a lot. Um, I mean, he loves football. Uh, this is what he wants to do he wants to win uh, and he's going to do everything that he can to make that happen Uh, he's a very tough player Uh, you know we saw him time and time again this year uh, have to go down trainers coming out to see him whether it was cramps uh, maybe something in the upper body Um, you know he'd leave for a couple plays he'd be on the bike then he'd be back in Um, he just you, know, you couldn't keep him off the field, whether it was injury or, you know, anything like that. And when he was on the field, you, you really knew his presence. He, he made himself known. Um, and I think that Chicago fans are going to get very familiar with him very quickly.
3: Well, from what you know about Jaquan Brisker and, and just the overall transformation from going to, you know, a, a Lackawanna college and then transferring after one year and going to Penn state, how did that shape him into the player that he ended up being? I mean, it, it's been a really crazy story. Um, he had multiple siblings. Um, you know, a lot of things had to go right for him to be in the position to even be at Penn State. But just kind of describe how that transformed him and, and how that, you know, how well that worked for him over the, the three years that he was at Penn State. Yeah, I,
4: I, he talked a lot about the Lackawanna College experience, what it's like to be a junior college guy how that shapes you. And it's something that Penn state has really tapped into. Um, They signed Jair Brown, uh, who was Briskers teammate at Lackawanna and a year behind him uh, to play safety. And then they have another safety coming in from Lackawanna in the class of 2022. So it's something that we've been exposed to a lot in terms of how that experience shapes guys. And I think that when you're in junior college, you just have to really want it because, you're not going to have the same type of support staff kind of helping, holding your hand through academics, holding their, holding your hand through your schedule, kind of making sure that you're you're on, you know, you're where you need to be at all times. I think that uh, going to Lackawanna was kind of a, a big growing up experience for, for Jaquan Brisker. Um, obviously, he had a lot of stuff happen in his life that, you know, did force him to grow up pretty quickly. But I think that, that this was kind of the experience of, Oh, if I want to make it in football, I have to. You know, I have to make things happen now. I have to kind of. I have to be in control of what I'm doing. And you know, he spoke a lot about how junior college isn't for everyone, but it's something that that really shaped him and and really got him to the point that that he is now.
2: When I get to talk to him, part of the media session on Friday night, he had a lot of confidence. And you know, there's the clip out there of. of him talking to the bears when they picked him, he said, you got to steal the draft and there was two safeties drafted. Um, I believe before him, he, he kind of plays with that chip on his shoulder a little bit, right? Like, I mean, does he kind of just ooze that confidence when he's out on the field?
4: Oh yeah. A hundred percent. He's, he, I don't think he's ever, I've never, I never saw him rattled uh, in any way in, in terms of his confidence. It's, it's a very kind of quiet confidence in some ways, kind of in, in talking to the media um he's not someone who kind of raises his voice or sounds necessarily enthusiastic sometimes but he kind of has that very quiet confidence that that quiet drive and seeing some of the the quotes from him and and his reaction I mean it's it's not surprising at all I mean I think that he believes that he's the the best safety in the draft and I think that there's probably in, in some arenas probably an argument for that and I think that he is going in and he's going to remember that the, you know, he's the 48th pick and that there are other safeties drafted before him. And then he's going to use that and and try to spin it forward into, into something in his career.
3: And just kind of look in, you know, in, in terms of, you know, his decision-making since he's been at Penn state, you know, and it's kind of been the same for a lot of players. I mean, this is one of the older draft classes Uh, that has come out this year because of the COVID year. So in talking to him, did he have any reason behind deciding to grab that extra year eligibility and come back uh, for the 2021 season? Um,
4: I think a lot of it had to do with the, when he talked about it, he talked a lot about how the 2020 season went for Penn state, Penn state started zero and five and then won their last four games to finish four and five. But given kind of the the recent history of the program, that was one of the the more poor seasons in recent years. And so he talked a lot about how he didn't really want that to be his legacy. Um, He didn't want to leave and kind of have his last time at Penn State be a team that started 0-5 in this weird kind of COVID year and that didn't get a postseason. Um, And so he talked a little bit about legacy, but I mean, I think that he definitely boosted his draft stock by coming back. Um, He kind of went from that fringe All-American status as a as a true senior. I think I think pro football focus might have been the only place that had him in its All-America conversation into being in, you know, he was an All-American last year. Um, I think that he really boosted his stock. And I also think he took advantage uh, from the leadership side of things where he got the chance to kind of be one of the main presences on the team uh, to kind of lead the team from the back end. And I think that that's something that had to do with him coming back for another year. Um, Jair Brown, who I mentioned earlier is another guy uh, from Juco who elected to come back for a third year at Penn state this year. And we were talking to him a couple of weeks ago and he said that he came back because he saw kind of what Brisker did uh, in terms of being more of a leader Boosting his game, but mostly in the locker room, kind of getting the chance to be a leader and develop those skills, and that's why Jair Brown wanted to come back for another year. So I think for Brisker coming back for that that third year at Penn State, I think there were kind of numerous factors that that all kind of you know came together to to keep him here for another year.
2: Looking at him as a player um, at Penn State, you know I've read he you know kind of played back as a safety. He could play up in the box as a safety. Um, what else did he do? Was he ever kind of maybe in that hybrid role? Um, was he ever in the slot guarding, you know, in coverage or anything like that? Can you kind of explain like, you know, maybe what his, um, his roles were in that defense of what we should expect him to be here in the NFL level?
4: I think that in the NFL, he'll be very versatile. It wouldn't be a surprise for me to see him in the slot, um, you know, kind of maybe covering some wide receivers, uh, in the NFL at Penn state, the the defense that Brent Pry ran was, was pretty rigid in terms of roles, where it was kind of this is what this safety is going to do, this is what this linebacker is going to do. Everyone knows their responsibilities all the time, so there wasn't. I wouldn't necessarily say that Brisker was used creatively, um, but he did kind of have that that playmaking ability where he could play up near the line of scrimmage, um, he could play in the box, he could also play deep, and I thought he was a pretty good center fielder. So. The, the way that Penn State ran its defense, I'm I'm really curious to see how a lot of these draft picks are, are used maybe a little bit differently um, in the NFL. And I think Brisker is going to be one that, um, you know, I think Chicago can use him in some pretty unique ways, because I think that his athleticism and, and skill set kind of lends itself to being able to do a lot of different things.
3: Well, you just kind of, you know, talked about the different versatility that he has. And then today's NFL, especially at safety, I mean, you have to have that versatility. And you know, with the Bears, we've kind of seen that over the last few years with the different defense coordinators that they have. And obviously now it's going to be a Matt Eberflus defense. So my question is to you is out of all the versatility and what he's done, where do you think he's going to be best in the NFL? Because I know some people kind of want to, you know, pigeonhole a little bit and say that he's more of a in the box safety that has some coverage. Where do you see him at his best fit, whether that's a slot, whether that's free safety, whether that's strong safety? What's your overall thought on that?
4: Oh man, that's tough. I mean, I think that, I mean, it's kind of a cop-out, but I think he'll be successful in, in kind of w- whatever role that that he ends up in. But I think that if he is in a position where he can be used in run support, um, but also, you know, I wouldn't necessarily, you know, put him in like a one high as, as a center fielder. Um, he, I, I've kind of felt like he wasn't necessarily best suited for that. Um, but, you know, I think as someone who, I guess a strong safety is kind of, uh, the, the answer I'm, I'm settling on there where he can cover some tight ends. Uh, he can cover guys, uh, you know, up near the line of scrimmage and, you know, he's got ball skills and he's also, uh, not afraid to, to put his nose in there, uh, against some running backs.
2: Yeah, you just mentioned it right there, you know, watching him and seeing the stats and the takeaways, what makes him so good at forcing takeaways? I mean, you know, at strong safety, you don't get a ton of opportunities, maybe sometimes for interceptions, you know, a lot of times you're called on to make some stops in the run game and tackling, but what makes him so good with those ball skills and forcing takeaways?
4: I mean, he's a really smart player. I think that that's something that that comes back to a lot. Um, he had the, one of the game ceiling interceptions against Wisconsin in the, the season opener last year. Um, and the way that he explained it was, I thought it was, it was really interesting. It was really honest. And he really took us through his process where, uh, he knew that Graham Mertz of Wisconsin was going to throw it to the tight end, Jake Ferguson up the seam, Um, and so what he did was when the ball was snapped, he took a false step to the outside, Mertz saw him take the step and got baited into throwing the ball up the seam. And he was able to undercut the route uh, and get the interception. Um, So I think that that's kind of a, the type of play that really defines um, you know, who Brisker is where um, you know, the way that I would kind of explain it, I was talking to people the past couple of weeks is that he's a guy who's really known for his intangibles that you talk a lot about his leadership. And you talk a lot about his toughness and I think that at times that kind of overshadows the fact that he's a really good athlete um, and also a really smart athlete. Um, and I think that that play against Wisconsin really, really showed um, kind of what he's capable of doing. And of course, the the toughness and stuff was uh, was tied in there because he got pretty banged up that game, but but still finished it out. But um, I think that that kind of shows, uh, you know, what goes into things for Brisker and and what will help put him in position to, to get more takeaways and, and to make plays on the ball.
3: One of the big things for the Bears, especially during the beginning of this rebuild, is getting the right guys in the building and not just, you know, simply getting the most talented guys, but also getting guys that are good culture fits. And you've kind of touched on some of it, but you know, for Bears fans who maybe aren't as is familiar with Brisker and and who he is and what he's done, you know, what are the Bears getting, and what can Bears fans expect, both on and off the field? I mean, what what kind of guy is he? Do you expect him to be a leader, uh, so on and so forth?
4: Yeah, I, I definitely think that he'll find a leadership role, uh, whether that is just among younger guys or just among defensive backs uh, at the beginning, before it grows. Um, you know, it's kind of who's to say, but. I think that he'll be someone that that people gravitate towards because he wants to win. Uh, and I think that that's something that really, I think, can can carry you um, in the NFL uh, and making that jump from, from college to the NFL. I mean, he's going to come in and he's going to show guys that he's serious about this and in terms of his preparation and approach. Um, but I always found him to be pretty, he was always very pleasant to deal with. Um, you know, he wanted to be honest uh, in terms of, you know, what he was seeing on the field and, and kind of explaining different things. And, um, you know, it's like I wouldn't necessarily describe him as as easygoing because he's he's intense and you can kind of see that that bubbling under him. But he was just kind of very, you know, like he knows football. He loves to talk about football and, and it's really easy for him to talk about football. So I think that he'll find his place in the locker room with, you know, like minded guys, um, and I think that he'll be someone just with the way that he handles himself that um, guys gravitate towards and he'll probably naturally just end up in a leadership role.
2: You, you talked about the play against Wisconsin as one that stood out to you. Was there any other plays maybe you saw from him or any other games, um, matchups against wide receivers or tight ends that uh, kind of stood out to you while, while watching him?
3: Yeah,
4: I think the Wisconsin one was just the the quintessential one, I think kind of from from front to back. Um, obviously, it was the the first game of the year, and it was the my first game on the beat. So a lot more kind of things that happened are are really ingrained in my head. But um, that game too, like I mentioned, he was dealing with cramps. Um, he had some sort of upper body injury that that he really downplayed, but that you could tell was hurting him. And I think you know there were two or three times that game he had to come off and then came back on. Um, in the third game of the year against Auburn. I guess the third game of the year against Auburn, he, he had a big pass breakup. Um, I think he had a late interception in that one. And he was just kind of the, it was the very classic, okay, Penn state needs a big play. They need a big stop here. It's a one score game. Who's going to make the play. And of course it's going to be brisker and, and he comes through and, and helps preserve that win. So I think that Auburn game was something too, where it was the whiteout national TV, um, a top 20 or 25 matchup at that point. Um, you know, the type of game where you needed someone like him to to be at his best, and and he really was.
3: So I'm just going to kind of preface this by saying this, my final question here. Uh, This is not a trap question. You do not have to answer, Brisker. Uh, But, you know, just kind of looking through some of the players that were drafted by Penn State, this is more of a general Penn State question, who are you most excited to see, uh, at the NFL level? I mean, there's a lot of exciting prospects. So again, you don't have to pick brisker. I'm just kind (laughs) of curious from your perspective, you know, who who are you most excited to see and who do you think is going to be the most successful at the next level?
4: So I'll go with who I think is going to be the most successful out of Penn state. Um, I'll start there. Uh, I think it's going to be Jordan Stout, the punter going to the Ravens. Um, I think that he was really, really good last year, um, he's the reason Penn, the Penn State defense was able to do some of the things that it did. And he was the reason why Penn State was able to really keep a lot of these games that they lost down the stretch close. Um, you know, I mean, of course, there's a reason why they were punting so much. Um, but when Stout got his opportunities, he was really good. And I think him landing with Baltimore, um, which has a very robust special teams infrastructure, um, I think that that is a place where he'll be able to thrive. Um, And also uh, I'm originally from outside of Baltimore and, and growing up there, I know that they love their specialists. I saw so many Matt Stover jerseys uh, when I was growing up and every time I'm home to see my parents, I see a ton of Justin Tucker jerseys. So I think that that's kind of a place where he can be successful and, and have kind of a a career Um, in terms of pure entertainment value. uh, I'm definitely the most excited to see Jahan Dotson um, with Washington He was so good last year. Everyone knew he was going to get the ball. When the offense was kind of struggling down the stretch, he was kind of the the only reliable offensive weapon that Penn State had. So you knew that defenses were going to be keying on him, and he still made things happen. So I'm kind of curious to see what he can do with a guy like Terry McLaren uh, lined up opposite him, where Jahan Dotson isn't going to be the focal point um, of the defense week in and week out. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see what he can do there. Obviously I spent three seasons covering the Eagles uh, and I wa- watched uh, a lot of Carson Wentz in 2020, which wasn't the, the greatest viewing experience. So I'm interested to see how that plays out. But I think that Dotson is a player as a receiver who can succeed uh, no matter the quarterback. Um, and then just from a pure curiosity standpoint um, I'm very Interested to see how Brandon Smith, uh, the linebacker who was drafted by the Panthers in the fourth round, how he kind of fits in, Um, you know, 6'4", 250, ran 452 uh, in the 40 at the combine, former five-star recruit, just, uh, you know, all American in terms of seeing guys getting off the bus. Uh, He's a first teamer. Um, but it didn't necessarily translate to the field all the time last year. So I'm really curious to see what he can do at the next level because all of the physical tools are there. And I'm really interested to see if the Panthers can kind of mold him a little bit or kind of bring him along. And if kind of being seen with, with fresh eyes in a new environment is something that can benefit him. So uh, I, I, hope that, I hope that answers your question, but I, I'd also throw Brisker in there too as someone I, I want to see.
2: Awesome, good stuff, Daniel. Uh, we really appreciate you joining us. Where can everyone follow you on Twitter at, and where can everyone read your work at?
4: Yeah, you can uh, read my work at lions247.com. Uh, I'm I'm in my second week with with 24/7 Sports, and it's been a it's been a good time. So uh, the the more readers, the better. Uh, and you can follow me on Twitter at at Daniel JT Gallon.
2: Awesome, good stuff. We'll have to do it again sometime soon, man.
4: Definitely. I'll, I'll, anytime you want to talk some Jaquan Brisker, I'm ready.
2: Yeah, yeah. Thanks again, man.
0: You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah.
2: And that was Daniel Gallon to give us some insight on DeQuan Brisker. Um, we've been talking to other people about other Bears draft picks. We'll be doing those as separate podcasts as well. So kind of be on the lookout for those. Um, some really good stuff on the Bears draft class. And Aaron, with that, you know, I kind of want to get your thoughts on it. Overall, now that you've had a couple of days, it's been, you know, three to four days here since the Bears have officially announced their class, Um Give me an early grade and, and kind of maybe a, a thought on this draft class overall for, for Ryan Poles.
3: Well, for me, I would go either C-plus or B-minus. And again, you know, and it's kind of a weighted grade, right? Because in terms of quality of players, especially early on, obviously they didn't have a first-round pick. But I do I do truly like the picks of Kyler Gordon and Jaquan Brisker. I really do. I do feel and I know a lot of people disagree. I feel like Bayless Jones was a, a really big reach, one that really wasn't, in my opinion, wasn't necessary. I understand that that was the guy that they wanted. And they got him. And, you know, who knows? He probably would have gone in the third round. I, I don't know. But, you know, and then obviously kind of looking looking forward and looking at their other picks. And I think they got some good lottery picks in there in, in day three. And I think there's definitely some guys that are going to be able to stick on the roster and be longer term pieces for them. But I think, you know, when I say weighted, and the reason I say C plus B minus is for the simple fact. I mean, again, man, like going into this off season as a whole, we, we knew that the bears were going to be kind of tearing things down a little bit and they were going to be, you know, kind of reshaping things. But I think everybody going into this off season knew that the bears had needs on the offensive side of the ball. And I mean, if you just look at it, man, I mean, again, like, okay, they added a bunch of day three picks, um, you know, and really the only guy that they've added on the offensive line so far has been Lucas Patrick, right? Guard is still a massive issue. Both tackle spots. There's still a lot to learn about Larry Boreham and uh, Tevin Jenkins. And you just, it's hard to feel remotely good about their offensive line right now. And then again, you start looking at receiver and, you know, you, you look at what they've lost. They lost Allen Robinson and they replaced him with Byron Pringle. And it's like, and you know, and then Valus Jones, it's like, it's just, you know, if you're looking at one through five right now with the bears receiving core, you've got Darnell Mooney, who, again, I really like Darnell Mooney, but he is probably better off as a number two receiver. And then you look at Byron Pringle, who is probably best off as a number three receiver Valus Jones. I don't know how much you're going to be able to count on him. And then after that, you've got David Moore, um, and then you have, uh, you know, EQ, say Brown and, 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 you know, Daz Newsom I guess you could add is that, you know, kind of that, that third, you know, that, that third guy in terms of depth, but that's a really uninspiring group for a second year quarterback. And I think again, where you have to kind of wait, the overall draft grade is you, you look at these other teams, you know, um, throughout the off season with all these first round quarterbacks that were taken, you know, Trevor Lawrence got a lot of help. Uh, Zach Wilson got a lot of help. Uh, Mac Jones got some help, and it was already in a good situation. And obviously, kind of the same thing with uh, with Trey Lance. He's in a really good situation. I mean, they were they were one game away from being in the Super Bowl. So you kind of compare the other four first round quarterbacks in their situations to what Justin Fields is working in with. And I think the Bears are putting a lot, and I mean a lot of pressure on the fact that getting the right coaching staff in, especially on the offense side of the ball is going to make a bigger bigger difference than the personnel. So, again, just kind of zooming out and looking at the draft as a whole, I think they had quite a bit to accomplish. I think they got some of that accomplished. I think they added some good players. But I think in terms of offensive needs, they didn't do a lot to address or quell the concerns uh, that I had moving in with this roster.
2: Yeah, and you know, Ryan Poles did allude to it both nights. I mean, he did say there are options out there in the free agent market, and we'll find guys, you know, that will be cut and, and all that. And sure, I mean, yeah, that, that is true, but the likeliness of finding a legit starter to help out Justin Fields there, you know, slim. I mean, we saw Jason Peters come in last year. I was by the Bears' best offensive lineman. I get that, but finding an impact player at a wide receiver. It's gonna to be tough. I think it's gonna take for a very, you know, a surprise cut um, after training camp, or potentially another one of these wide receivers that wants to um, be, you know, traded or or outright released or, or whatever. Like as we've seen a couple times this season. So yeah, I mean, you got to get Justin Fields some help. I understand it. I, I get it. I hope the Bears drafted two legit starters on defense. I hope DeLos Jones Jr. is good. Um, we'll just wait and see, but I, I'm very intrigued to see kind of how things play out here at Rookie Minicamp um, coming up this weekend. And just in terms of, you know, we won't get, a, a like I said, a final showing or what this roster is going to look like. Um, We'll get hints of where they're going to work some of these players out at, um, especially in the offensive line. I think that will be the biggest thing to watch moving forward and then kind of just wait for all these pieces to, to to fall in place. And we'll see if Ryan Poles has has something up his sleeve via trade, or maybe he finds a veteran on the street. I mean, there's, I believe Jarvis Landry's still a free agent, Odell Beckham Jr. Still a free agent. Um, There's a couple other wide receivers out there, but again, they're not guys that, are beneficial for the long term of Justin Fields. And I just hope we don't have to wait until 2023 um, to to kind of get that for Justin Fields uh, as a quarterback.
3: Yeah, I agree. I I think there's, there are still some names out there. I thought Trey Turner would have made a lot of sense. And obviously he signed with Washington yesterday. There's still some names out there. There's still some scheme fits out there for both offensive line and receiver. Um, I just, I hope that they go out and they add a quality You know, even if he's, you know, not the same player anymore type veteran, like go out there and, you know, a guy like Emmanuel Sanders, you know, somebody like even Will Fuller, like I've been pretty against Will Fuller, but at this point in time, if you can get him on a cheap one year deal where you're not paying him a ton and it's incentive, you know, incentive driven, then he makes sense. But they've got to do something at both of these positions. I think at very worst, you have to address right guard. And you have to add at least one more veteran receiver. So you're going in with some depth and some reliability into it. So we'll see. I mean, there's still time. They still got, you know, a chance to make some moves, um, you know, and who knows, maybe a a surprise or two happens. But as of right now, I I still think the, the offense is the primary concern. And I think objectively speaking, when you're looking at the overall depth chart offensively, it is in a worse place right now than it was this time last year. And that should be concerning.
2: Oh yeah, it, it definitely is. It's, I mean, you look, even despite how last year actually played out, it, it is, you're right. I mean, it's, it's very concerning and we'll have to see. I mean, you know, like I said, I hope maybe there is a move coming. Maybe Ryan Poles has a plan, but all we can do is kind of just wait and see for now. Um, Aaron, where can everyone follow you on Twitter and read your work?
3: Yep. You can uh, find me uh, on Twitter at Aaron Lemming NFL, and you can read my work at the bear
2: Awesome. And you can follow the Bear Report on Twitter at just Bear Report. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Zach Z A C K underscore Pearson. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe on all major podcasting platforms. We got a bunch of interviews to get out. Um, the guys over at Picture Polls are also doing a good job getting some stuff out. And we'll have plenty more coverage of Rookie Minicamp on the website as well. Um, until next time, everyone, please stay safe.